Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons. All handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Oh, hello. It's the Kleenex that you forgot to take out of your pocket before you ran it through the washer and dryer and made 4,000 baby Kleenexes. Allie Ward, back with the final episode of this year's Spooktober series. And true to my promise, they are getting a little closer to the heart and the dead the closer we approach Halloween. And in hindsight, I don't know if that was a good idea for 2020, since Halloween is just going to go butt to butt with the presidential election. But you know what? Oddly, death episodes tend to be really inspiring and life affirming. So let's just press on. I promise by the end of this, you may be giving your job the finger or reaching out to tell people you love them. Mom, dad, I love you. Thanks for making me. See, look, I just did it. Okay, but first, a few more thanks to all the folks on patreon.com slash ologies who send in questions. You can join that club for as little as one single American dollar a month. We set a low bar. Come on in. And thank you to everyone who makes sure you're subscribed and who rates the show and who writes reviews for me to read on days when my anxiety gets better of me, such as Egg Salad 19, who wrote, listening to old dad ward is like a big cozy ear hug every episode. Even when the subject matter scares me slightly, it's just too interesting to press pause. Egg Salad 19, buckle up. And thank you to everyone who left such sweet-ass reviews. All of you, I read every single one. I'm earnestly so grateful for it. Okay. Deserology. So this is a real word, and it was coined by a legend in the field, like a pioneer of professional funeral fanciness, Noella Papagno, who authored the 1983 classic Deserology, The Dressing of Decedent's Hair. So she was a hairstylist. She just passed away about three years ago, and she believed that her clients should be served after death as well, and that more care and attention needed to be paid to the dearly departed to make them look their best as their bereaved say goodbye. And I found a clip. Here she is introducing the world to this ology in the early 1980s. Dear professionals, for over 30 years, one of my greatest rewards as a hairstylist has been my work for funeral homes. I would like to share that experience with you. For three years, hairstyling for decedent has been in the making. The story of techniques touching all phases of hairstyling for a decedent needs telling. This manual of Deserology describes these techniques in detail. Understanding your needs in this field and catering to them is what this book is all about. Thank you. Oh, 
legend. So Noella dubbed her work Deserology because it was a portmanteau, kind of a Franken word of deceased and hair. So Deserology. But it tends to capture kind of all the glam given to folks before a viewing. And I first heard of this ology probably two, three years ago, actually from Megan Rosenblum, the anthropodermic biocodicologist from last week's episode. And this ologist holds many titles. She owns the Next Generation Mortuary Support in Phoenix. And I was hoping for a few years for like a dusty road trip to the desert to take in her immaculate lab and smell the rows and rows of solutions and bottles and brushes and blushes, but alas, a digital conversation in the times of COVID would have to do. So we hopped on and we chatted all about the mortuary business, the particulars of embalming, reconstruction, her most memorable cases, and some heartwarming ones, whether she's ever perhaps seen or maybe felt any presences, and who dominates the funeral business spa services for recently deceased, why you should just let things go, and well, how to effortlessly look your best. So lean back on a satin pillow and get ready for world-renowned deserologist Monica Torres. Yeah, my name is Monica Torres, and um, I'm a licensed embalmer, licensed funeral director, postmortem reconstructive specialist, and deserologist. I know that's really long, but no, that's great. <laughs> I've been doing this a while. And the pronouns you use? I'm a she. I'll go with she. I, my scholarship, actually, that I founded is helps women and transgender individuals gain technical skills in funeral service and embalming and management skills. So that's something that's important to me to learn how that community is, what they're expecting from like the older, like more like experienced generations too. And um, you mentioned you were a deserologist. Um, yeah. Is, is that a, a word that gets used a lot? I know it was invented in the 80s, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's not used a lot. If you're like a regular, just lay person that has no, you know, experience in funeral service or embalming, it's not heard a lot. So don't feel bad because most funeral directors and embalmers have not heard of it either. Which came first? Were you more interested in makeup or were you more interested in funeral services? Yeah, I think those are really good questions because it seems like I get a lot of people asking me these questions on my social media and even in my email inbox, it's like, how did you get involved in this? So my background is unique in the sense that I was actually a licensed cosmetologist before I became a licensed mortician. So I had a background already when I went into mortuary science and mortuary college in cosmetology. So the love of makeup came first here, but in a pretty gender conforming society, it's more common for ladies to be hands on with contouring than corpses. Back then, I did know that Deserology existed because I had researched it before I went into mortuary college, but I also found out that it was just not very common. Like there, because the industry is so largely populated by men, it is a male dominated field it kind of was just not something that was important to the professionals that were running the industry. But things are changing. You know, there's more women now. Most of our mortuary college classes, the college itself, as far as the students, 
the women outnumber the men now. So I think that Deserology, there's going to be exploration in that area as far as postmortem rejuvenation and treatments on the body. Now that there's more women, I think that that's something that we're going to bring to the table that's never been done before. When it comes to makeup, is there something about the artistry of it that you loved? Were you, were you like a really artistic kid? Were you always painting or drawing or, or what do you love about that? <laughs> yeah, it's funny you ask that because I was. I used to I started drawing skulls from like the time that I was very little. So mm-hmm. back then, you know, my parents were mortified that I was <laughs> drawing skulls and dead things. They did not understand or like that. And I honestly, I didn't even really understand it. I just, it was just very natural to me. Mm-hmm. So Yes, I was, I've been an artist, like, since I could remember, I've always loved to draw and paint and sculpt and use charcoal. And I was really involved in art when I was in high school. I, you know, did all the banners for the the football team to run through and (laughs) and all that. So, yeah. (laughs) And how do you feel in general about holidays when the rest of society sort of dips into behind that curtain into spookiness like i i grew up like goth and so whenever i saw everyone being goth for like the week of halloween i'd be like come on we're out here <laughs> every week but how is it yeah. as someone who works in in funeral services and in mortuary science is that a holiday that you're so over or not it's really it's so funny that you asked that because like growing up, I was always like, I was kind of a goth chick too. Mm-hmm. And, but that was like, that was just how I always was. Like, I was always like that when I was from the time that I was very little, I just l- found beauty in the darker things in life. Halloween was like my favorite holiday for many, many years. And as I've gotten older, not just Halloween, but like a lot of the holidays, I'm so busy with work that my life doesn't stop for Halloween or Christmas or Valentine's day as a mortician. Mm-hmm you know, we don't have holidays off typically. So it's hard for me to like embrace the <laughs> the spooky vibes and stuff because I, it's my life. And I also, I'm so busy serving families and other funeral directors, but I, I mean, I try because I know people expect me to, mm-hmm. like they expect, they're like, oh my gosh, you're like the death queen. Like you should be have like the spookiest house. Every day is Halloween, uh, yeah. is Halloween in my world. Yeah, the, like that ministry song, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I always think about. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and what was it like for you to make that transition from the cosmetology side of it into mortuary services? What door opened to let you combine the two? Yeah. So I, it's, it's really hard as a woman in this industry, it's really hard to make headway because it is, like I said, it is still predominantly run by men, all the leadership positions, the decision makers are still men. So, you know, I really had to go above and beyond what my, my skill level was. And that if you look deep into my background, you'll find that I have a very deeply rooted background in technical skills. Okay, what does it take to be a Monica Torres? A lot of school and passion. So she first got her bachelor's in recreation and event management because funerals, they are kind of parties after all. And she's been a licensed cosmetologist for 20 years. And while still an embalming intern, she completed a deserology course named Airbrush Artistry for Cosmetic Use in the Prep Room and Restorative Art. She's also trained in postmortem reconstructive demi-surgery from the Fountain National Academy of Professional Embalming Skills. She's certified as a crematory operator 
and has been recognized in her industry with awards. She graced the cover of Funeral Director Magazine, and she's pioneered hair restoration that her peers now dub the no-wax Torres technique. So my point, she has serious chops. I wanted to make sure that the men that I was working alongside understood that my technical skills were on point and mm. that they, you know, if they had a question for me, I had an answer because I, I found that that was a stumbling block for a lot of uh, men in our industry when it came to cosmetology and makeup. So now that I, I have that skill base and I've, I've completed the program at Fountain National Academy of Professional Embalming Skills, which is uh, in my industry, that's the most elite embalming college that you can go to. Mm. There's less than 60 individuals worldwide that have completed the entire program. Oh, my God. So, yeah, so I, that's something I'm very proud of. I'm one of the very few women that has completed that program. When I completed that was when I was really, I, I gained respect in my, my industry and my community. And at that point, that's when people started listening to me and saying, oh, okay, maybe she has something to say. And there is value in what she's um, talking about mm-hmm. and now teaching because I teach it as well. Should you choose, you too can sign up for her easily accessible online courses, such as Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Embalming But Were Afraid to Ask, Midnight Madness and Prep Room Tour, Progressive Deserology for the Modern Embalmer, and the toughest subjects like Embalming the Infant Death, which next time you're having a challenging day at work, just think what deserologists are going through quietly behind the scenes of funeral homes all over the world. But actually, it's what is happening, I guess, backstage in the VIP area on stainless steel slabs. And this is a stupid question, but a lot of us do not know how to embalm someone. Uh, can you run through kind of in a nutshell? Because I think so many people are it's such a mystery what happens. Right. It is. What happens when what happens? What right? happens? What happens after after Monica gets the call? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's not just some people. I would say like ninety nine point nine nine percent of people do not understand what I do for a living. So they know that I I work around dead bodies, but they don't really understand the process. So embalming is comprised of three basic steps. The first part is disinfection of the body, which is very relevant in our world right now with the pandemic. That's the first step. The second step is preservation of the tissues and the body itself. And the third step is restoration, which is the makeup part. That is the Mm -hmm. cosmetology part. So there's three Ah. steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very simply put. And those post-mortem rituals and procedures have been happening for thousands of years, including mummification and other ways of preserving bodies. But injecting via arteries started in about the 1300s, but it really gained popularity in the U.S. during the Civil War, when fallen Union soldiers needed to be preserved for shipment home to be seen and then buried by their families. But back then, though, they used arsenic. They don't anymore. But once again, the whole embalming process is more than just a pitcher of fluids displacing blood. So let's break down those three steps further. There's disinfection, preservation, and restoration. The actual embalming process itself is, you know, bathing. That's the disinfection process. We bathe the body. We disinfect the body with the appropriate disinfectants Mm -hmm. that we use to clear off all of the bacteria, the microbes, anything that's going to harm the embalmer or the family. We get rid of all that stuff. It goes down the drain. 
And then we move forward into the preservation portion, which is where we actually are, we're trying to remove the bacteria rich blood from the body Mm. and replace it with a disinfectant based preservative. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or, or? It's not bleach though, or arsenic anymore. So what is the disinfection-based magic potion? Which is formaldehyde. That's the most, I guess I would say, the chemical that we have found so far that works the best for that process. Mm -hmm. So if we can get the blood out and replace it with that chemical formaldehyde, then the body is preserved and able to, it basically buys us time, Mm -hmm. right? Between the the decomposition process and and going back to uh, dust. So Mm -hmm. that's the process. The blood goes down the drain. All of the fluids that come out of the body go down the drain. A lot of people are really surprised to hear that, but that's, that's what happens. So they're worried about contaminants, right? Like, oh my God, all this stuff's going down the drain. And the one thing I want to say to all those people is they remember that we're working with disinfectants. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's going down the drain, but it's also, it's, disinfecting (laughs) as it's going down the drain. Yeah. So, you know, formaldehyde, once it comes in contact with protein, which is blood and, you know, everything that our body produces, it's returning to its organic state. So as far as like fear of contaminants and contaminating our soils and and our water supply and all that, that's false. So that's a misconception that a lot of people have. Okay. Quick aside, what else is in embalming fluid? Well, it's a cocktail if you will, of formaldehyde, methanol, ethanol, and other solvents and wetting agents. And in the prep room, it's stored in something that looks kind of like if you had a frozen margarita machine. And each human person needs about two to three gallons of it flushed into and filling up their blood tunnels. But let's chat about formaldehyde. It's a naturally occurring compound. It's CH2O. It's all over the earth. We even produce some of it naturally in our bodies. And in its pure form, it's an invisible gas. And it has a smell that's been described as sweetly antiseptic, musty, and even pickle-like. But if it's in a solution, typically it's in the form of formalin. And it's used in a ton of industrial settings, especially in making resins and particle boards, but also in keratin hair treatments, like Brazilian blowouts, which I have had many, and I've been handed a rubber respirator at the salon, which is concerning, yet I continue to do it. Despite formaldehyde being technically listed as carcinogenic. So folks who work with it are often at a greater risk for certain types of nasopharyngeal cancers and blood cancers and other irritations. But it certainly gets the job done when it comes to particle boards, glossy hair, and good-looking dead people. And then finally, the third part, the restoration part, the makeup part, that's the beautification and rejuvenation portion. That That's the part that the family gets to see at the end. Notice the the lifelike pigmentation. And um, not to bash any guys, because I don't want to do that. I learned from mostly men, but um, I feel like women have a lot to bring. We have a lot to bring to the table in that in that portion, because we are typically, as far as gender roles have been concerned for all this time, you know, we've been kind of pushed into that, like, oh, you need to wear makeup. And you that all of the marketing is like, oh, buy makeup and wear makeup and do your nails and do your hair. So, you know, we already have 
this preconceived notion of what beauty looks like. Yeah. Right. And it's a little different for, I think, men and women. <laughs> so this, this whole time in a male dominated field, is there like Harold, 65 year old embalmer doing makeup on, you know, like a 19 year old deceased yeah. patient? Absolutely. That's, that's the standard right now. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sorry for this frank reaction, but I'm just saying, imagine a 19-year-old chick walking into Sephora and getting a makeover by someone who doesn't really like or wear makeup themselves. It's maybe a little weird, but it would be super weird if you looked around and everyone who worked at Sephora was also like that guy. You might be like, what's keeping ladies from doing this job? It's, yeah. just, it's not weird because I'm sure Harold is good at it, but it's also like for that to be a male dominated um, well, activity seems so odd to think about. <laughs> it is. It is. And I, I think that's honestly, and like I said, I don't want to bash any men or any yeah. of the people that have come before me, but I feel like that's why cremation has gotten this huge rise and aquamation is like this big thing right now because people got sick of like, they got sick of that, you yeah. know, they got sick of people that weren't, they're paying all this money for the service and the, the skill set wasn't there. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of the families were like, I can do a better job on my mom's makeup. Mm. Mm -hmm. So like I said, I don't want to disparage um, anyone's skill set or, you know, their, their background or their history or whatever. But I think, you know, things are changing and, you know, like anything else, any kind of consumer product or service out there, like you need to know who to go to. Yeah. You need to know who to call. Like, you know, you know you, what hairstylist you want to go to, you know, where you go to get your nails done. And when someone passes, like that's part of it, you know, you need to know who to go to. What's their skill set? What do they specialize in? Mm -hmm. Who's yeah. the person in the back room? Right. Right. And do you feel like in, in the work that you're doing, do you feel like you're serving the family and the friends and the loved ones of the person who's passed? Or do you feel like you're doing it for the person on the table? That's a really great question. And I'm so glad that you asked that. Um, for me personally, I feel like I am doing my work for the family and the friends and the loved ones and the people that need it, that need that opportunity to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. um, the person on the table is it's not necessarily for them, right? Basically what I'm trying to do is to preserve their dignity. Mm -hmm. And that may have been lost through cancer or a traumatic car accident, uh, a murder, whatever. So that part, yes, I am doing it for that person on the table. Absolutely. But on the, in the big picture, everything that I do and, and, you know, especially for those really difficult cases, I don't focus on that person on the table. I focus mentally, emotionally on the family. Like mm -hmm. I have to do whatever I need to do to help this family. So that's mm -hmm. how I separate that. You know, you have to yeah. separate your emotion when you're, when you're working, especially on a traumatic case or a baby. Oh, I bet. What types, when you say a difficult case or a traumatic case, what kind of cases come, come to you or what's been a challenge that you really weren't sure you could get through that you ended up really serving the family well for? Well, there's so many. I mean, yeah. there's just so many ways that people die, right? It, cancer can be traumatic for people. It, mm -hmm. it, it can be a traumatic process, but also a suicide, mm -hmm. gunshot wounds, hangings, overdoses. You know, that's that's a really a difficult process. It ravages the body. But then there's also infants and bodies that are decomposed. They're found. You know, so there's there's a lot of different types. 
of scenarios and we deal with as embalmers, we deal with the worst of the worst, mm-hmm. right? So you don't get to pick and choose and say, well, I'm only going to work on little old ladies that <laughs> died of natural causes. Yeah. You know, I'm from a Catholic family. And so we, for some reason, Catholics love an open casket. Have there ever been cases where the family has wanted to say goodbye visually and it's it's something that maybe you wouldn't advise? I personally recommend, I always recommend for families to view their loved one, even if the trauma is severe. And it might not necessarily be for, you know, 200 people, but for those people that were closest to that person, a lot of times those cases in particular where there is severe trauma are the ones where the families need to say goodbye. They need to be able to accept what has happened Mm. because a lot of times it's a shock. You know, they go to work in the morning and they don't come home. Yeah. I see death differently in that way where I think, especially here in America, we're so focused on looks, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's all about the way you look. Yeah. And we're so focused on that. It's hard for people to understand that it's not about that. When you have that one last opportunity to say goodbye, like that's it. That's all you have. That one last opportunity. For example, if you knew that you were never going to get to see your mom again, she was like, oh no, you can't come over because my hair is a mess and my house is trashed and whatever. Like, can we, no, it's not about that. It's like, this is your last chance. For most people, I think they don't care. They just want to be able to say goodbye. They're like, you know what? I don't, I don't care what, what she looks like or whatever. I just want to be able to put my hand on her hand and, Mm -hmm. and say goodbye say what I need to say. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big advocate for viewing before cremation or burial or whatever it is. I think it's extremely important for the, the grief process and that journey. And I figured there must be folks out there grieving. It's been a tough year and we all will grieve at some point. So I looked up some coping advice from the American Psychological Association and they cited some research that most people can recover from loss on their own through the passage of time if they have social support and healthy habits. But also they stress that there's no normal time period for someone to grieve. It's really individual. But one thing that was reassuring was they said that research tells us that it can also be the catalyst for a renewed sense of meaning that offers purpose and direction to life. They say it can really help to talk with friends or colleagues about your grief and isolation or avoidance of your support systems can disrupt and really delay healing. So talk. It's okay to talk and remember the person. Also feel your feelings and allow them, even if it's a range of emotions from anger to sadness. Also take care of yourself, get sleep and eat well, get some exercise if you can. They say it also might help to reach out to other people grieving the same person as helping someone else can get you through the grieving process too. And to remember and celebrate the life of the deceased. Take the chance to remember milestones in their lives, birthdays, anniversaries, even after they're gone. And you may also want to seek out a counselor to help you chat about and process what you're going through. And though it may be very individual, Monica says that a visitation can help with accepting and processing the loss she has found. Is that possible with COVID patients? And do you get a lot of COVID patients? Absolutely. So, and you know, this has been something that hasn't, it's, it's so new and people don't understand it, but so you have to remember, go back to what I was talking about and those three steps to the embalming process. The first and most important step is disinfection. Mm -hmm. So by disinfecting the body, we're completely eradicating any of that virus that's 
intact or active or whatever, right? So it's actually more dangerous to have unembalmed bodies laying around than embalmed bodies when it comes to COVID. Mm. In my personal opinion, the families can absolutely see their loved one who has been embalmed. Absolutely. Um, now touching and kissing and all that, I wouldn't recommend just like now you wear a mask and, and all that. But for families, your loved one dies of COVID. Absolutely. You can see your loved one. Uh, and I would recommend embalming for those cases specifically. If you have a loved one that has died of COVID embalming, I would say, yes, please do that. Because if, like I said, if you're going to let that infection fester and whatever, there's more of a chance that there may be spread or the people that are working on the body may be affected, the embalmers themselves, the funeral directors, the transporters. So yes, they are difficult cases. Absolutely. But we deal with many difficult cases like that. So you have to remember as embalmers, we're the most prepared for these types of cases than, than really anyone else. So I deal with MRSA cases. I deal with all types of infectious diseases, not just COVID. The diseases that I'm way more afraid of than COVID, to be honest. Mm. And you've never caught anything from? I I haven't, but I also, I'm an advocate for using uh, personal protection equipment. So mm -hmm. I'm one of the few embalmers, I think that's really public, that has been using a full face respirator for years. I've been using one for years, and I teach that in my embalming classes for my students as well. Monica, for a visual, has high cheekbones and eyebrows arched kind of like a 50s pinup. One side of her black hair is shaved at the temple, and she's usually working in hot pink scrubs or a lab coat with her skull and crossbones company logo embroidered in fuchsia. And her smile is under there, but it's obscured by the full face respirator. She usually wears a clear face shield as well. But she's more stylish draining fluids than I am right now as I'm recording this, I promise. I wear scrubs and I wear appropriate attire and the gowns and gloves and all that. So I feel very prepared to deal with any of the infectious and bloodborne pathogens. Has your work changed the way that you look at your own life or living in the moment or mortality or postmortem plans? Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Oh, for sure. Like I try not to hold grudges so much anymore. <laughs> I, That's a good one. I may, yeah, I try to live for today. Honestly, I really do. Like I say, I love you to pretty much everyone mm. because, you know, I never want to like have that be the last call. And I didn't say I love you to like my friends and my, the people that I really do care about, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I try not to get too wrapped up in the things that really in the big picture that aren't important. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah, I'm also not as, what's the word? I think people get wrapped up with like material things and buying this and buying that. And, um, I think I value like my friendships and my family a lot more than that kind of stuff. Yeah, the old you can't take it with you type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, can I ask you listener questions? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Okay, but first, a little break to hear about sponsors of the show giving you some deals, which lets us donate to a charity of the ologist choosing. And this week, easy peasy, Monica up top mentioned her scholarship fund, which is called High Precious, which she established to help break down social, racial, and political barriers and offer female and transgender individuals the opportunity to gain advanced technical training and management skills in funeral service. And she named it High Precious because that is how one 
misogynist troll patronizingly greeted her on the internet. So she reclaimed it and she called the whole thing High Precious, which I love. So yes, a donation will be made to High Precious. And do check out the link in the show notes to find out more about it. And it was made possible by the following sponsors. If you have gonads that are designed to fluctuate, you probably have some hormonal things that are bugging you. Y'all have listened to my field trip episodes. You know that my ovaries and I have needed to part ways over creative differences. And if you've dealt with jacked hormones, you've felt my pain. Maybe you would like a little bit of relief. And there's this thing called Hormone Harmony, and it's this formula. It's made with herbal ingredients that have been shown to reduce hormonal symptoms, whether you're dealing with perimenopause or menopause, sleep issues, tummy stuff, nothing like hormonal bloating. Love that. But Hormone Harmony, they have these science-backed herbal extracts. They're called adaptogens. They can help the body adapt to stressors, struggles like PMS and menopause. And people love Hormone Harmony. There's like over 17,000 reviews. A bottle is sold every 24 seconds. It was really helpful for me to see other people who had similar issues who felt a lot better and had a little help from plants to deal with some uncomfy hormonal things. So for a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code ologies at checkout from my bod to yours. Allergies with Allie Ward is sponsored by Claritin. So luckily for those that live with the symptoms of allergies, you can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This is designed for serious allergy sufferers and Claritin D has two powerful ingredients and just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. It's this double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available. Relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Just boom, down the hatch. You can get non-drowsy relief of allergy symptoms. And with Claritin D, you can still make the most of your day without compromise or looking like you've been crying. Are you ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Your pod mother, Jarrett, terrible allergies and was recently shooting an indie movie that was filming in a house that had seven cats. Guess who's allergic to cats? Him. So yeah, we always have Claritin in like each of our cars. Essentially, Claritin D is the third in our relationship. It's fast and powerful relief. It's just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you're not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com ologies. 
Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allies love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clay projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Okay, now on to your dark and sunny and curious questions. Yeah, I let them know you're coming on the show. Oh, and they great. Were so they submitted Super. like hundreds of questions and I've boiled them down to the most awesome. Popular. So Melanie Baker, Jessica Morgan, Emily Tudorache, Amy Meager, Grace Robichet, Lynn and Dory, Jennifer Lowe, a lot of them all had questions about the type of makeup that you use. And they sure. want to know if you use your own makeup or if you use makeup that belonged to the deceased. Are there different like specific brands if you're working with um, a corpse. So yeah. yeah. What do you use? What's in your kit? Yeah. Okay. So everybody wants to know this. So every case is different for those that are listening. Every case is different. And I do always ask for the family to bring that person's makeup in because that is super helpful. Like, you know, if you're a woman that wears makeup, you know, it's like that a lot, a lot of women's lifeline, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, absolutely. I ask for people to bring in the, the person's makeup. However, dead bodies, the, we, we use a makeup that is non-thermogenic and that's what works best on dead bodies. There is no heat being produced by the body. So a lot of the makeups that we use as women in our everyday lives don't really have the same reaction. So what I try to do is I use my non-thermogenic makeups. Right now I've started to use a product by Lola 7, uh, so lady, she's a funeral director and embalmer. She's created her own makeup line Ooh. and it, it's absolutely fabulous. Um, <laughs> I've never used it. I'm not just plugging her. Like I have never used a makeup like that because it actually smells really, really beautiful. She's done a, a really nice job. So I do use Lola seven for some very difficult coverage issues when there's bruising or postmortem staining, postmortem staining. I just looked it up, aka liver mortis or blue death is when blood pools in parts of the body and leaves a dark mottled purple splash under the skin. Monica makes sure that clients on her table get the good stuff to cover it up because drugstores that concealer, get out of here. You're not going to do the job. And then I also use my traditional mortuary pigments that our old school chemical companies make. Dodge Company is known for their cosmetics line, and I use theirs quite a bit as a base. And I also use a product called Necromedics and PMRC. So those are kind of like special effects makeup to cover any kind of major like camouflage. I also use an airbrush when it's needed 
And the airbrush I don't use for like bridal makeup. I use that for like really severe cases, traumatic cases where I need a good coverage. So what I try to do is I use my mortuary makeup to create a foundation for a lifelike appearance. So I basically am just bringing them up to an appearance of like maybe when they got out of the shower and they're getting ready to put their makeup on. So fresh and so clean. And then after that is when I take their makeup bag out and then I work my magic with their makeup. Oh, do you ever have to ask the family like of these lips? How do you know if someone would want a bold lip? For their goodbye or like a peachy nude. Exactly. So what I try to do is when I, when I sit down with the family, I ask them for uh, pictures and I say, find a picture that you really like your moms, your sisters, your brother, whoever, how you really like their makeup. And you bring me that picture and I'm going to try and recreate that. Mm. So if you want your mom's hair to look this certain way, but her makeup to look another way, then I need two different pictures. Right. So, and families are pretty good about it. They usually bring in one picture and they're like, you know, this was like my brother's wedding or something. And my mom absolutely loved the way that the makeup artist did her makeup, or this is how my mom always wore her makeup. Can you do it like this? And that's what I try to accomplish. Kyla Kelly and Naomi uh, Tassin both wanted to know if family members ever request to do their makeup and if that's something that even even happens. Yeah. So there are a lot of family members that do want to participate. And I actually teach a class. It's called the Family Assisted Dress Experience. And I teach other funeral directors how to engage families so that the family can be a part of that process. I started teaching that class in 2015. And basically, it teaches the funeral director how to guide the family so that the family can do the hair and the makeup and the nails and even dress their loved one. Mm. So, but that's a service Like you pay for that. You know, you pay your funeral director for that service. So, but yes, absolutely. Families can be a part of that and dress their loved one and and do the makeup and all that. The one thing I would recommend is that, you know, they ask that the funeral director embalmer to help them through that process, because it's not only technically can be difficult with discoloration after death and the condition of the skin after death, that can be difficult. And an embalmer is trained on that, you know, on how to work with those challenges, but also emotionally, like you, you think you can do it and then you get in there and you're like, Oh man, Mm -hmm. I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. So that's why I'm going to go back to like finding the right professional, finding the right funeral home and funeral director, just like you would find a dentist or a doctor or a hairstylist and have them in your back pocket. Like, you know, already, this is the person who is going to take care of my family or, you know, my loved one. It's hard to think about. Yeah. It really is. But when you're going through it, you don't want to be having to make those decisions at that time. So read some Yelp pages ask your most goth friends or maybe the people in your life who like voted early and have an earthquake kit and just generally have their shit together. Have you ever had anyone interview you while they're still alive? What do you mean? Like to say, hey, things aren't looking so great. Oh, yes. I want you to do like for like for prearrangements and whatnot. <sighs> Absolutely. So like many people don't realize that funeral directors often do prearrangements. And so you can prearrange your funeral with your funeral director. So absolutely. I have families that come in and talk to me and say, Hey, Monica, I want to plan everything now so that you know exactly what to do when I die. <gasps> and so, you're like, I looked amazing here. 
I'd like yeah. a smoky eye. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and they choose everything. They can choose their casket or whether they want a shroud or if they, you know, they want a bronze casket or if they want to be cremated. And like, we do everything. We, all the details, you pick the urn. If say you don't want a funeral hearse, say I want to be in a horse-drawn carriage. Oh, fancy, fancy. So we can plan all that in advance. You can even pay for it in advance too with like funeral insurance. A lot of people Mm -hmm. don't know that. But the one thing I would say is that you don't have to pay to do funeral arrangements. And a lot of people have that misconception that they have to pay for their funeral if they go and talk to a funeral director about that. And that's not true. Oh, you can. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You can go in and you may. And and funeral directors love that because then it's, it's just so much like they already know what to do. Yeah. They already know. They pull your file and this is what you know, Shelly wants, and she, we already talked about it. Her signature's right here. That takes the pressure off the family. They don't have to make decisions. All they have to do is pay. Uh, just, yeah. Just pick up the tab, pre-ordered it. Yep. It's like yep. Ordering. It's like ordering Indian food. Yeah. He like chose everything. Just pick up the tab. Yeah. You can even do it online. I have colleagues that do it online now. So families don't even have to go in the funeral home. Oh my gosh. That's yeah. so smart. I mean, On that note, I got so many questions from so many amazing listeners. Uh, Jacob Blizzard, first-time question asker, have you ever prepared a full clown in makeup? Jeffrey Bradshaw wants to know, has anyone ever asked to be made up as a character? This one question. J.V. Hampton Von Sant wants to know, if I wanted to say be buried looking like a Dolly Parton drag impersonator, is that a request? Taryn wants to know if they could go out and drag makeup. And I really loved um, this one question. Shout out to patron Felix Wolf, who asked, Do you try to mimic the makeup style or aesthetic of the deceased? As a queer freako, I would want my makeup to reflect what I wore in my life and not an idea of normal makeup. Felix, I love you. Yeah. Is that cool? So it's totally cool. But like I said, you have to find the right funeral director, right? Because mm-hmm. so polit- politics play a big deal in everyone's life. Everyone is, you want to make sure that you're going to somebody who understands like what you want. And that they also respect your own views and the way that you live your lifestyle. So like, for example, my best friend, David, uh, passed away from cancer a few years ago. When they told him you're terminally ill, he came to me and he's like, I want to plan all this out. Mm -hmm. And so we started doing that. And he was gay. He was a gay man. But he was like, not just a gay man. He was like a fabulous gay man. (laughs) And like, everybody knew that. His nickname was Barbie. And yeah, so everybody knew how fabulous David was. And I wanted to make sure that he went out just as fabulous as he could. And so we talked about that and he's like, Monica, he's like, please, oh my God, please do not let me go out without a tan. And cause he loved to be tan and he lived in Florida and he loved to be tan. And, you know, he was like, make sure that my highlights are on point and please make sure that I have a tan. And so we did that. Like I made sure that I gave him a spray tan and he um, wanted glitter all around his suit. He had a white suit that he picked out and this like beautiful uh, bright colored shirt. I made sure he had glitter on the flower. I made him a flower corsage and it had like glitter on it and made sure that his highlights were like on point. Yes. If you want to look like Dolly Parton, you can do that, but you need to call Monica. You need to call me. You need to, <laughs> you know, you need to find a funeral director really though. You need to find a funeral director that understands that and that they can offer you that service that you want. So it just takes a little bit of legwork, but absolutely it can be done if you want to look like a cartoon character if you want to go out and cosplay or whatever like Mm -hmm. yes you can do that but you need to first of all you need to express that to your family and make sure that your family understands you need to have it in writing and you need to find a funeral director that's going to honor your wishes and Mm -hmm. that has the skills to do that because 
you know, not everybody can do drag makeup. It's not easy. You're born naked and the rest is drag. So no. Oh yeah, it's, it's not easy. So you want to make sure that you have the right people in place. If that really truly is your wish, you need to put it in writing, make sure that you have the right professionals and place and that your family fully understands your requests. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Several people, Tammy Fortin, Molly Rose K. Siebert, Heidi Stushinoff, and Elaine Lemirande, who's a first time question asker, um, wants to know HBO series Six Feet Under. Did they get it right? Was it flim flam? Why do people have to die? To make life important. Heidi wants to know if you ever imagine having full-on conversations with the deceased. Or Tammy wants to know, if do you ever just talk to the person while you're doing them up, either out loud or in your head? Yeah, so those are all like really common questions that I get. First of all, I'm sorry to disappoint you all. I never watched Six Feet Under. <laughs> sorry, I just don't... I <laughs> I don't watch shows like that. I'm like yeah. a, I'm like a super nerd. Like I watch like really like, <laughs> like documentaries on like the history of food or something. Like yeah. I, <laughs> I'm really into nutrition and fitness. So I typically spend time like, you know, watching those kind of shows or like history. So sorry. I don't know if they got it right or not. As far as conversations with the dead. Yeah, I do. I do have conversations with them sometimes. My most favorite one would be like, uh, you know, help, help me help you. You know, <laughs> if I have a body that's, you know, giving me a hard time and I'm not able to like really get the effect that I'm going for. I tell them like, help me help you. Aww. Or, you know, sometimes I'll say, you know, we're going to get you where you're going. Like I'm, I'm going to help your family through this and you're going to look beautiful. I, that's something I always, I do a lot is I'll be like, you're going to look so great. You're really beautiful. And I, I don't know if that's more for me, but, um, yeah, I do. I have those kind of like little conversations every once in a while mm -hmm. for sure. It's lonely in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a few people had some questions that I'm sure you get a lot. That they're probably afraid to ask, but Molly and Sadie want to know eyeballs. Do you have to close them? Do you have to sew? Like in lips, uh, Karen wanted to know this. Do you have to close the lips or the eyes? How does that work? Yeah. Okay. So that's super technical. And a lot of people are weirded out by that kind of stuff. But so sometimes I'll get a, a body in and their eyes are already closed and their mouth is closed. And so I don't really have to do anything. 90% mm -hmm. um, of the time, we do have to close the people's eyes and we do have to close their mouth. And so there is a surgical procedure that we do and it's, um, it's a suturing procedure and you have to think of it like you're going to the dentist. Like people get so weirded out about it, but I'm like, you guys, this is plastic surgery on the dead. That's all it is. Mm. Okay. So yeah. basically it's a, it's a surgical procedure where we go in and we suture uh, through the nose, the septum and down into the mouth and close the mouth that way. Mm. So you know, obviously we're not using any like painkillers or anything because the person is dead and, yeah. but yeah. Didn't feel a thing. So I try to like demystify that fear for people or so that they don't have fear and demystify that process by explaining it that way where it's a surgical procedure, much like plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. um, the same with the eyes. So sometimes we will use a little tiny bit of adhesive just to keep the inner canthus and the outer canthus like closed. Acanthus, side note, is a corner of the eye. And also, I just read that some deserologists might use eye caps under your lids. They look like large plastic contact lenses, but they have spikes on one side to keep the decedent's eyes closed. 
like they're in deep sleep. And now the facial features are set before embalming in kind of a restful, pleasant expression. Although it has kind of left me wondering if anyone's ever been asked to be presented if they're just like mid-afternoon nap with a rumpled shirt and a remote control in one hand, maybe a pool of drool on a couch cushion under their head. Anyway, sometimes they do dab a little glue to keep you from looking alert. It's not what you want. Not always, though. If the embalming process goes very well, you don't have to use any kind of adhesive at all. Oh. For, yeah. So that, that tissue will firm in the in that position, which is what we're really after. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah. Do people, do they die with an expression on their face? Sometimes. Yeah. yeah, sometimes I'll get somebody and that has a little smirk or something like that. And uh, usually by the time the person has gotten to me at the mortuary, any kind of rigor mortis has, has gone away. And so they're in a natural, you know, mm. position. And not that this was something I thought I would ever learn, but there are stages that the body goes through after your spirit flies off into heaven filled with frogs and friendly possums and your grandpa and all you can eat lactose-free gelato and hammocks. So the first stage after you die is pallor mortis, where circulation stops and skin looks lighter and pallid. Then there's algor mortis, where the body comes to ambient room temperature just cools off like leftovers. And then rigor mortis in which the muscles stiffen from a lack of ATP to relax them. And this rigor mortis stage starts about 12 hours after death and lasts a few days. And then the muscles begin to decompose and the body relaxes again. And then there's liver mortis, that purplish staining, which can start as soon as 20 minutes after death. I also found it very sweet to learn that during embalming, the deserologist or embalmer will massage the body just to keep things flowing. And it's sort of like a final pampering spa day, but you know, like one of the naked spas. But yes, Monica says that by the time she works on them, the limbs and the muscles are pretty flippity floppity chill. Those are not her words. But yeah, people die with their mouth open a lot. I mean, you relax, every muscle relaxes. So, yeah. you know, we do kind of like when you're sleeping, you know, sometimes you yeah. sleep with your mouth open. It's kind of the same thing. Catching flies. We've all done it. Yeah. Um, no horrified looks though. I don't, I don't really have recollection of any like horrified, uh, expressions. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah. <laughs> I was worried about that. I was like, oh. yeah, no, I, that's not something that, that I've seen. And then Wendy Miles and Lulu Hall both wanted to know if there is a smell or if that is even an issue, I guess. Also, you're wearing a mask. So is that a, is that a thing? The smells are, yes. So <laughs> that is one thing for sure. That is, it's definitely like decomposition has a smell and mm -hmm. dead human bodies have a smell much like it, when you walk into the hospital. So those mm -hmm. smells from the hospital, they do carry over into the mortuary. Mm. So there is, you know, the bodily fluids that are produced. Yeah. All of that very clinical hospital smells. And then that's paired with the the smells of decomposition. I try to explain it to people. Like if you've ever had a, a steak in your refrigerator and gone away for the weekend and you come back mm -hmm. and you open the refrigerator up and you're like, Ooh, that's yeah. definitely like, there's something bad in there. Smell it. So that smell is kind of like what it's like, but on a grand scale, right? Yeah. So I think it's important also to point out that the embalming process retards that smell. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, that's why it's like, okay, let's get these people embalmed so that we don't have those smells. There's no offensive odor for the family. And to be honest, working, you know, as a professional, like, I don't want to smell those smells either. They can get a little stinky. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Bubbery had a great question. Is makeup done differently on deceased people of color? Products for darker complexions weren't widely available before the 70s. Yeah, absolutely. So it's it's totally different. And also, it's important to remember that another fascinating and amazing thing about embalming is that we can cosmetize a deceased person from the inside out. What? It's so cool. It is super cool, especially um, if you can really, as an embalmer, if you can master that technique, it's really neat. So what we do is we add a dye additive to the embalming fluid. And whether that person is Caucasian or black, we have different types of and colors of dye that we can mm -hmm. use. And when it's done right, it is really beautiful. Like the person's skin tone is just, it's, it comes out really nice. You can do that. But then also the cosmetics that we use, if it's topically that we're talking about, Lola 7, like I said, it's a very uh, modern type brand of mortuary makeup is actually created by a black lady. Mm -hmm. She's a black funeral director. And so that was something I think that she brought to the game that was really valuable to me is that she brought different palettes of different complexion types. Cool. Oh, and if you want to look up Lola 7, the 7 is spelled S-E, numeral 7, E-N, and they're on Instagram at Lola 7 Cosmetics. I started poking around their cosmetic site, and for a sec, I was like, oh, that's a great coral lip palette. And then I remembered it will hopefully be a very long time before I get to wear it. So yeah, I have all of her palettes and, and I have, so any kind of complexion, whether they're black or Asian or Hispanic or Caucasian, I have all of those different types of foundation colors. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But I do, I, I, I do have to say, I do try to cosmetize through internally first because less is more when it comes to mortuary makeup, in my opinion. And I guess that's also just a good lesson. Like, you know, if you want your skin to look great while you're alive. Drink a lot of smoothies. Yeah. A lot of vegetables. <laughs> take your vitamins. Hydrate. Exactly. And the best, the, I feel like the best skin cream is just drinking water. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I have to agree with you on that. Um, a yeah. few people wanted to know um, if you've had any really strange requests. Cassie Flint and Ariel Jade asked if you've just had like uh, a really strange request that either caught you off guard or was a challenge. Yeah. Um, so I think the most interesting and uh, strange request was I had a young lady who passed away and she was an exotic dancer, mm -hmm. obviously like a young girl, very beautiful. And she didn't really have a family. So her work family was like the people that were taking care of her mm -hmm. uh, arrangements. And they wanted to have her prepared in her costume, like her her, her dancing costume. So, and I'm fine with that. I mean, I will honor anyone's wishes within reason. Right. But the issue that, that I had was that, you know, it's so much of her skin that was showing that that's a lot of makeup and, mm -hmm. um, a lot, it was a challenge because of the decomposition process and the way that the body, you know, breaks down a lot of that we can camouflage under clothing mm -hmm. as morticians. So, right. You know, I was like, you guys, I don't know if that's really like, I don't know if that's the best idea. Like that's really, um, that's a lot of skin, you know, that's going to be showing and her body wasn't in the best condition as it was, as far as the place that she was in the process of decomposition, she wasn't in a great place. Mm. However, I wanted to do that for them. I just didn't think it would be the best, like last memory for them. 
And so right. once I explained it to them and like, this is going to show, and this is, they were like, Oh yeah. Like, no, yeah, we don't want that. Yeah. You know? So, um, I think just having that open conversation with them of like, this is what's, what you're going to see is ma- it, it makes people's minds up for them when they have mm. that conversation and they're like, Oh, I didn't think about that. Oh, y'all friends do become family. And this story just socked me right in the guts. So I hope her molecules have fed mushrooms and flowers and worms that feed birds that sing in the sunshine. She deserves it. I want to cry. How did it turn out? What did she end up wearing? Did she end up wearing a dress? Or? Yeah, yeah. We put her in a really pretty, like shimmery dress. It was one of her one of her costumes that she had. It just had more coverage. Mm hmm. So yeah, yeah, she, she ended up looking really pretty on her special day, but I did have a magician one time. Really? That was kind of cool. Yeah. And it was a funeral of all magicians. So that was, that was kind of cool. And they did a really nice send off for him. They had like his little hat and his little bunny and everything with him. Wait, hold the phone. Did they bury the magician with his bunny? The bunny was alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But not buried with him alive. No, 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 no. But he was there for the service. Oh. Yeah, he was he was with him and he was there for the service. Yeah, absolutely. Emotional support. Buddy. Yes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did you have to hide a bunch of scarves in his sleeves and... All that stuff. Ah, amazing. Yeah. You got to know some, like, real magic tricks, I'm sure. Oh, it was one of the most memorable funerals that I've had and all the magicians that were there. And, like, yeah, it was, it was definitely one for the books, for sure. Oh, what a party. Corin... And Jen Borlick and me handlebars want to know if you've ever had anything spooky or downright weird happen, any unexpected surprises, or if you've ever kind of freaked yourself out. Spooky or unexpected surprises. Um, unexpected surprises would be like the last day of service. I worked my buns off all week trying to get, you know, this body prepared and the funeral running and everything perfect. And then like the day of the service, the family has like no money to pay. <laughs> so I would say that's probably the one that I'm like, oh my God, I, I had a, now what? But um, I would say like, I know what people are after and like spooky. I don't really have any of those stories. I just, it's not like that. I think people get so caught up in like the movies and what they see on TV that they don't realize it's, it's really like a hospital setting, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like a hospital setting. And so it's very clinical and we have our cooler. Yes. There's, you know, bodies in our cooler, but I'm so busy that I don't have really time to think about like spooky stuff. I, I think people think that we have one body and, and that's it. When we, yeah. in, rea- in reality, we probably have, like, we're processing between five and 20 bodies at a oh. time. And are you going from one to the other, like, depending yeah. on stages and stuff? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I know. I wish I had some spooky no. stories. I wish that's I had, good. like, I wish I had, like, oh, yeah, this one time, like, this guy, like, sat up and he started talking to me or, you know, <laughs> but it's just not. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> that's good. I think that's good. <laughs> I think that helps people. Yeah. Um, So I guess don't be afraid of funeral homes or dead people. Dead people who are literally chilling in fridges right now were probably afraid of dead people while they were alive. And they're just someone's cousin or girlfriend or mom or coworker or mailman. And they all had birthdays and got excited about donuts in the break room and had favorite songs and a smell that reminded them of a first love. So Monica is there to make sure that they look amazing at the last party they'll ever host, kind of a bon voyage to the great beyond. But it can't all be smooth sailing for her. 
And the last questions I, I always ask, what is one thing about your job that is the hardest or something that's annoying or petty? What's one thing that you, you hate? So my one thing I would say that's really, it's hard for me is that the misconceptions about embalming, what it is and why we do it and why, you know, there's a lot of, I want to really truly drive this home to your listeners is that there's a lot of propaganda on the internet right now about like embalming is bad for the environment and it's bad for this and bad for that. And it's not the people stop listening to embalming advice from people who don't embalm. You're not going to listen to like take advice from a hairstylist when you're trying to get a root canal done. Yeah. So a lot of that is just, it gets under my skin is that there's a lot of misconceptions about the embalming process itself. Gets under her skin. That's dad worthy right there. Bravo. So just be careful with what you are listening to on like YouTube and podcasts and people that are a lot of like the natural burial advocates and stuff like that, which I love natural burial. No, no offense to natural burial. I absolutely love it. I think it's beautiful. Amazing mm -hmm. uh, way to say goodbye. Absolutely. Just be careful about what you're listening to. And of course, just dad word jumping in to say that opinions really differ on this topic, as you can imagine. Plenty of websites say that embalming fluid is a disgrace to our poo-filled sewage systems. But I did find a 2011 paper from the University of Johannesburg titled The Effect of Formaldehyde Use in Sanitation, which stated, formaldehyde does not raise any serious human health or environmental concerns, provided it is properly handled and stored. When released into the air, the paper said, it is rapidly broken down by photolysis, light. And when released into water, it's biodegraded within a few days. So this paper went on then, to discuss porta potties. Essentially, the formaldehyde breaks down into carbon dioxide and water through the natural action of oxygen and sunlight and bacteria and heat. So, good for poo, good for you. That is not the slogan of the Formaldehyde Commission, nor should it be. But if you're gonna get truly pissed about formaldehyde and industry, essentially, maybe get bent about resins and particle board first, and then embalming a distant second. But if you're like, I want a natural burial, I want to return to the earth ASAP, I get it. I feel you completely. As for natural burials, you can get encased in the fetal position into a big fibrous egg that will feed your loamy nutrients into a tree, or you can return to our mother by donning a mushroom suit that breaks you down to grow strains of fungus. Perhaps a body farm donation is for you, or you can get tossed into a vat of concrete and thrown in the ocean to help a coral reef develop. It's your bod. Do what makes you happy. Just maybe let someone know what those wishes are. You can do it in a fun way. You can write a poem or a singing telegram. Tweet it. You're asking me what I want? Yeah. It's your funeral. Uh, what about the thing that you just love the most about your career, your job? The thing that I love most about my career and my job is that, hands down, I get to help people that are living in their darkest days. Mm. So... I get to connect with people on a level that other people will never, even their closest friends and family do not get to connect with them. So I really love the fact that years after I'll have families that will reach out to me and they remember every detail oh. of the time that we spent together, Yeah, you know, planning the service and the things that I did for their, for their loved one. I just truly love connecting with people like that. Yeah. You have to really be a people person to work with the dead, huh? I think so. I think you have to have that definite, like you have to have compassion and you have to like 
be able to uh, be strong and like the, the family's counting on you to like get them through that really horrible time in their life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do. I, I really, that's my favorite part of it. Ugh. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's really great. And you're you're so respected in, in your field. You're just like the person to ask about this. I was so excited to Aww. talk to you. <laughs> I, was I like, love that. Well, I'm so glad to to get some of your time. I know, unfortunately, it's busy season for you. Yes, um, it is. Um, so because it is, it is a busy, fast-moving kind of pace here, and we're going into our busy season as far as death is, is concerned, I have for your listeners or anybody else, I have a link set up on my website for the general public. And I do teach classes as well for the general public. So all these questions that your listeners are asking, they Mm -hmm. might want to take a class that I offer and they can engage with me and other people that are interested in the macabre and learning about death in a comfortable environment. Awesome. Oh, this was asked by patrons and mortuary students, Kayla Simpson and Kyra Dye. Hello, wonderful death workers. Thank you for taking care of the people that we love. Oh, uh, a few people who are in mortuary school asked if you have one piece of advice for someone going down this path, if you could give to yourself in, in, in the past or someone else starting out. Any any one last piece of advice? Somebody that's going into the industry is to really thicken your skin right up. <laughs> yeah. Thicken your skin up and, you know, don't let anybody tell you that you can't achieve your dreams. Like you go after it, whatever you're your dreams are, don't let anybody squish them. Mm. <laughs> don't let anyone squish them. Yeah, don't let anyone t-shirts. <laughs> don't let anyone squish them. Like, yeah, don't let, don't let anybody get in your way. Oh, well, thank you so, so much. Keep up the amazing work for those families and make sure to get some rest in between if you can. It's been fun, Ellie. Thanks for having me. Thanks for reaching out. And I guess until until next time, happy embalming. So ask smart people stupid questions. And whether you want to dance or wear glitter or embalm people or write a novel, follow your dreams. Don't let anyone squish them. To learn more about Monica and her classes, services, even embalming uniforms, you can check out her website at Next Gen Mortuary Support. Link is in the show notes. You can follow her on Instagram and on Twitter at Cold Hands Hosts. All those links are in the show notes alongside one to donate to High Precious, should you desire. We are at Ologies on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Allie Ward, just one L on both. Do say hello. Um, if you'd like Ologies masks or beanies or t-shirts or hoodies, head up ologiesmerch.com. Thank you to Merch Mavens, Shannon Feltis, and Bonnie Dutch. They also host a comedy podcast called You Are That that has amazing guests, so check them out. If you'd like to submit questions for future episodes, you can join Patreon for as little as 25 cents an episode, and that is patreon.com slash ologies. Thank you to Aaron Talbert, who admins the Ologies Podcast Facebook group. Thank you to professional transcriptionist Emily White, who leads the effort with all the volunteer transcribers. Transcripts are free and available to everyone at alleyward.com slash ologies extras alongside bleeped episodes for kiddos those are bleeped by Caleb Patton Noelle Dilworth helps me schedule interviews because I'm just frankly very bad at that Jarrett Sleeper is the assistant editor who also went to the store and got me ice cream sandwiches the other day and thus shall be canonized into sainthood a huge thanks of course 
to the thread that sutures all these pieces together, Stephen Ray Morris. He also hosts the Purrcast and See Jurassic Right, two great podcasts about kitties and dinos. Nick Thorburn of the band Islands wrote and performed the theme song. And if you listen to the end, I divulge something... Oh, and this week, I got a new watch that tracks your heart rate. And y'all know I have anxiety, but I try to control it with diet and medication. But out of the blue last week, I started to have an anxiety attack, and I was like, one of these, I'm used to them. Later, I looked at my watch, and my heart rate went from resting at maybe 55 beats a minute to 160. It just jumped from one minute to the next doing nothing. How weird is that? But it's actually really nice and affirming to know that Anxiety isn't just me being a weenie who worries about things, that it's like a chemical, somatic thing. And so to take care of our minds, we got to take care of our bods also while they still have blood pumping through them. So I've been trying to chill out a little bit more. Life is short. Let's breathe. Relax. Just live it minute to minute. Appreciate the people you love. Also leave a will and some instructions on what kind of funeral you want. Also, one more thing. For some reason... The album that I work the most to is Misanthropocene by Grimes. I don't know why. Anyway, right as I was finishing some research on embalming, Spotify shuffled in a Grimes song called Flesh Without Blood. Ooh, spooky. Some real ghost in the machine right there. Anyway, that concludes 2020 Spooktober. Also, I might just re-air pumpkins as a palate cleanser as well this week. So if I do, go listen to pumpkins too. Get a pumpkin. Live your life. You deserve it. Bye-bye. Pachydermatology. Homeology. Cryptozoology. Litology. Nanotechnology. Meteorology. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.